Hey, you guys, welcome back to another episode of Have You Not Heard? This is Angel H. Davis. I'm your host. And today we're going to talk about post-traumatic growth, overcoming shame. Wow. Shame is a big deal. It slimes you, so to speak. There's a saying, shame off of you, just like people say shame on you. And if you grew up um, in the era I did, uh, which is (laughs) almost uh, six decades ago, you might have heard growing up, shame on you, because that was a saying parents used and certainly not meaning to leave any lasting impressions, but it often has because words have power, right? So let's explore this issue of shame. And wow, what a good time to be doing that during Thanksgiving when families are gathering. Maybe you're listening to this after Thanksgiving and you have felt that shame, or you did some things that you ended up feeling shameful about, or just being around family triggers um, some old shame. So a definition of shame, just straight out of the dictionary, it's a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. So in uh, the Bible, uh, different words are used to describe shame, disgrace, confusion, dejection, anxious, dry, disappointed. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is seeing that what you've done is wrong. And so it's about what you've done, but shame is seeing yourself as a failure. So say you make a mistake or you say something wrong, then you feel like a failure. Guilt is looking at the sin. Shame is looking at yourself. I dealt with this for a long time and my shame stayed very hidden But as God just peeled layers and layers and layers off around it, essentially at the bottom of it was a feeling that I did not deserve to live. That's what shame was trying to tell me. So it is something that we've got to deal with. And it's often hard to get a hold of. You may not feel that feeling of shame, but it may come up in other kinds of ways. Um, You may be embarrassed, have humiliation, that feeling of mortification, disgrace, dishonor, but even envy, anger, rage, anxiety, depression, those can be all symptoms of shame, insecurity, low self-esteem, perfectionism, or hiding who you really are from people because you don't think that they would like you. Shame feeds on itself. Um, Psychiatrist Carl Jung says it's a soul-eating emotion, which I would concur with. Shame survives in the darkest recesses of one's 
insecure, self-loving, and self-doubting mind. So a lot of times we don't speak of the shame we feel and it stays very hidden and things that are hidden can grow and fester. Shame needs fear and negativity to survive. So there's a vicious cycle going on in the brain. Environments that uh, produce shame or help it along are abuse and neglect environments, either verbal, emotional, mental, spiritual, or physical. Those can um, elicit shame or add to shame, especially if the abuse and neglect is done from an authority figure. And you may have experienced that as a child uh, with an authority figure and then end up being in relationships as an adult that mirror that. That's unfortunately um, a normal pattern unless the shame is dealt with. And that's the good news that it can be dealt with. Um, if there's a lot of lying, if you can't be honest, then that again perpetuates shame. It could be generational. There's scripture that says the sins of the fathers are passed down. And psychologically, we know that unresolved issues in one generation will get inadvertently passed down to the next generation to be dealt with. So if, say, one of your parents lived with shame but never dealt with it, then it may be that you deal with shame that doesn't even really have um, much uh, source to it because it's, it was not yours originally, but it is yours that you inherited kind of like an emotional heart attack or an emotional blood pressure issues, something like that, if, if that makes sense. Um, also you can be in cultures, cultures of shame. There's some shame-based cultures that perpetuate that. There's degrees of shame. Not everyone feels it, but most people struggle with it to some degree. Psychologically, it's a, as a self-conscious emotion. Shame informs you of an internal state of inadequacy, unworthiness, dishonor, or regret about which others may or may not be aware of. So you may be carrying around the shame and nobody even knows about it except for you. Given that shame can lead you to feel as though your whole self is flawed, bad, or subject to exclusion, it makes sense that you might want to withdraw or hide yourself. So sometimes we put on a false self because we don't feel like our self is enough. What's the origin of shame? Let's look at that. Biblically and psychologically, there's kind of two different ways of looking at it. But remember that we're talking about um, grit. We are talking about resilience. We are talking about growing through the hardships. So shame can be overcome and it can be used to grow you stronger. So we need to look at the body, soul, and spirit. So the psychological has some merit to it, but biblically, that is where we're going to get our bang for our bucks, so to speak. So biblically, shame began in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, 1 through 13, and you can go back and look at that. But basically, 
doubt entered in and the doubt was, can you really trust God? And um, Eve began a dialogue with the enemy and then she was tempted to do something. The one thing, not just something, but the one thing God had asked her not to do. She ate off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she also um, invited Adam to do the same. So sin entered in and shame followed. So both Adam and Eve felt shameful and they hid from God. Up until then, the word says they were naked and unafraid, meaning they were vulnerable. They felt safe. They didn't have any need to protect or to hide who they were from God. But when sin entered in, all of that changed. But God still pursued them. And he came into the garden and asked, where are you? Now, he knew where they were, but he was telling them, even in your shame, even in your sin, I see you, I know you, I care for you, I pursue you. So this is why we want to come out of hiding and why we can because we, we have a God who loves us no matter what. Humans may not have done that for you or may not be doing that for you now, but God always will. Well, shame comes along with a lot of baggage, right? So instead of the woman confessing, confessing to God, she just defended, she rationalized, she blamed, she projected. She pointed her finger at Adam. She blamed him, you know, had all kinds of excuses. And um, that cycle continues for all of us today. We all deal with sin. We all deal with shame. And we get into that cycle of blame, blaming and shaming and fearing God and fearing being vulnerable and being authentic. So psychologically, where does shame come from? Um, some psychologists believe its roots are in early trauma and failures of attachment during infancy. So nature versus nurture, so to speak. Um, what happens to you emotionally and psychologically during the first two years of life, especially in the first nine months of life, will powerfully influence your neurobiological development. So there may be some brain issues attached to shame. And if you go back and listen to our Overcoming Trauma podcast, episode five, you'll hear about that uh, neurobiology more. So it can be a failure of caretaker and bonding and some issues in the brain. Um, but shame is a feeling and it also can be a state of being because remember shame, um, is a reaction to when your faults are uh, discovered, when you feel like you're defected, if you make a mistake and it's, you know, if you make a mistake or you say something wrong, then of course you're going to feel something towards that, or, or if you've broken your moral code, you're going to feel guilty. You might feel shameful. You might feel some humiliation at first, 
but it's not a state of being, but those that deal with shame to a great degree, um, again, it's about who they are, not what they've done. So what do we do about this? How do we overcome it? How do we gain resilience against shame? Because boy, you know, in the environment we're in right now, it's almost like you've got to say just the right thing or you get canceled or you get shamed. You get called out um, publicly because now we have all this social media and access to that. So how do we overcome this? Let's look at that. You know, there's treatment and there's healing. And again, because we're body, soul, and spirit, you may need some good treatment. You may need some brain rehab if you've had some trauma or some caretaker uh, issues when you were a little baby. Um, you may need some uh, soul care, some mind, will, and emotion care with um, psychology and counseling. You may need to tell the story. You may need to do some trauma work like we've talked about. Um, but healing can come from God. And Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Think about this. When Satan came into the Garden of Eden, it was paradise. Um, Adam and Eve had everything they needed. They had beauty. They were cultivating life um, together and with God. And they had unbroken communion with God. And then doubt came in, sin came in, and shame came in, and fear along with that. And so that's the slavery that Galatians 5.1 is talking about. Jesus paid the price for that sin and shame. He says he carried it to the cross and he overcame it by his shed blood. So when you accept Christ as your Savior, then he has paid every debt and he has wiped away shame. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So no condemnation. If you feel condemned for who you are, that is coming from the enemy of your soul. And that is not what Christ's truth says. So how do we heal? Let's look at this. Romans 12, 2 is another one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So again, the power seat we have is our thought life. We've talked about this before. We're going to keep talking about it because it's so essential in psychology and in the truth of scripture. So I'm going to give you six R's <laughs> to make it easy of how do we build up resilience and how do we overcome shame and have that post-traumatic growth through it.
So number one, resolve. Number two, release. Number three, repent. Number four, renew. Number five, receive. Number six, rest. So let's go through those six. Resolve. It's simple and yet very difficult at the same time. Believe God's word as truth. Believe what he says about you, his love for you, who he says you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a child of God. There's so many scriptures. He says that we are his workmanship. Go do a word search in the Bible about who God says you are. Start focusing on that truth and resolve to believe it. You can do this. Number two, release. That's release the lies, the feelings, the struggles. Give them to God and let him deal with it. Don't try to manage it on your own. Don't try to hide it from him. Like uh, Kathleen and I talked about in the episode, Faith Like a Child, you know, my little two-year-old granddaughter covers her eyes and thinks she's hiding from me, but I can see her in plain sight. But because she has her eyes closed, she thinks I can't see her. And we do that with God a lot of times. He knows, he sees, he's not troubled by your shame, your sin. Again, he's already paid for it. And he wants to do an exchange program. And he wants you to give it to him so that you can receive the truth. Um, Make sure you hide in the right place and hide in his love, hide in his character. And maybe that's one of the going back to number one resolve. You have to believe what his word says about who he is and that he is a good God. Maybe you've been fed lies about who he is and that he's about punishment. But remember, fear is overcome by perfect love because God is not about punishment. He's about love. Now he disciplines those he loves, but that's a whole different story. Discipline is about building us up. It's about training us up. It's about making us better. It's like a teacher that teaches us that and gives us a test so that we can pass and we can get better and smarter and grow. So resolve to believe God's word of truth about his love for you, his character, his power to take away the lies, to transform the feelings, to transform your mind as 12 uh, Romans 12, one says, so that you can become a new person by the way that you think. Give it to God. I went through a season, well, more than one season, lots of years where I would talk to God about my problems, but I wouldn't give it to him. And I didn't realize I was holding on because I was including him in the conversation, but I wasn't literally handing them to him so he could do something different with them. So make sure you have those open hands and give it to him, release it. Number three, repent. Sin is not a bad word. Sin is when we fall short of God's glory and his holiness. Well, we do that every single day all the time. (laughs) So welcome to the world of being a sinner. I mean, we have that DNA in us because of Adam and Eve. We can blame it on them. Um, 
And we don't have to be ashamed of not being perfect, of falling short of God's best, of trying to do things on our own. You know, that's the essence of sin really is Adam and Eve wanted to do life apart from God. They wanted to know what God uh, knew. That's why it was tempting to eat off the tree of knowledge of good and evil and become their own little God instead of depending on God who created them. And we do that all the time. So ask the Holy Spirit to convict you, to help you, to just say, oops, I did it again. I'm sorry. And change me, change me, because we don't have the power to change ourselves. We have to depend on the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, to change us, to convict us. Um, so. Don't be afraid to take responsibility for the actions that may have contributed to experiencing shame, but also don't hold on to the shame that comes with sin often and give it to God. Repent and say, I'm sorry, uh, God. I'm sorry, Jesus. Thank you that you paid for this sin. I give it to you. Now show me truth. It's as simple as that. And confessing sin is about freedom. This is about freedom, you guys. Um, that's why sin is not a dirty word. When we repent of sin, we gain freedom. And that goes with also forgiving others. Um, that's another way we have freedom, forgiving others for their sin against you. Number four, renew. Do your mind renewal, meaning allow God to renew your mind. Second Corinthians 10, 5 and 6 um, says to take your thoughts captive and bring them into obedience to God's truth. I just badly paraphrase that, but, um, look it up. It's a great scripture. Uh, I don't have it written down. That's why I can't tell it to you verbatim, but it's basically, we use God's weapons of warfare to capture the thoughts that may come from our own thoughts or the enemy, the arrows of the enemy, and make sure they, you compare them to what God says. So if it's not truth about who you are, about who he is, about the world, then you need to take that thought that you're having, which is a lie then because it doesn't line up with truth and put it under the truth of Christ and ask the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. We've talked about healing prayer here that is a major way I have seen mind renewal happen. I've received mind renewal is through healing prayer because it helps me access for myself God's truth for me. You can do that by reading the scripture. He can give you a dream. He can give you a vision. He can speak through somebody else. I mean, he's got a bazillion ways to do it. And he will be faithful to do it if you ask him and you are open to it. So mind renewal is highly important. Meditating on scripture, uh, memorizing scripture is a way also for, to get mind renewal. And then receive, 
receive healing that God wants to give you. Receive the forgiveness that he's already paid for. You know, I ran around for years holding on to my defect, my insecurity, my imperfection, um, because shame was telling me I had to be perfect. And yes, I know Jesus died for my sins and all of that, but somehow it didn't translate into uh, believing that he was enough to cover what I felt like was a defect of who I was as a human being. I think I mentioned, but I'll say it again. Um, I literally felt like as he peeled away the core that I didn't have a right to breathe. I didn't have a right to take up space. That's what shame was trying to tell me. That uh, enemy arrow of shame was trying to tell me that you don't even deserve to be born. And then you, then I felt like I had to earn my right to be good enough to have value. And you guys, <laughs> healing and forgiveness is a way to receive the truth of what God has paid for us on the cross and through his resurrection. Some of the sweetest verses, I think, in the Bible are the fact that he allows Doubting Thomas to touch his scars and that he kept his scars. Jesus, the perfect one, kept the scars in his pure side so that we literally can touch him. We literally know that by his wounds, we are healed and we are forgiven. And, um, we doubt that a lot of times we don't understand the depth of that, but he has a way of convincing you of what is true. So be open to receiving that. And then we rest. That's the sixth R. We rest in the knowledge of our true identity in Christ. And this is the final healing, the freedom. And all of these other things are leading up to that, that we can truly know from the, the, the top of our head to the bottom of our toe and down into our DNA, what Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And we are his children. He calls us children. Psalm 139 uh, tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are handpicked by God. So it brings me back again to that Isaiah 61 verse. We talked about it last week. <laughs> I don't know how long I'll do this podcast, but if I do it from years from now, I'll still be talking about it because it's such a powerful set of scriptures. And remember, this is what Jesus quoted from when he stood up in the temple in Luke 4 and said, This is why I came. I came to set people free. I came to pay for the sin, your sin and those who have sinned against you. And I am here to bring justice to what evil has done to my children. And I can give you an exchange program. I want to do that. And he's able to do that. You know, 
Isaiah 61, if you read down verse seven, it says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance and you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. This is the real prosperity that God has for us. Not that we're going to get a bunch of money or life is going to go great, but we can know for sure that our sins have been forgiven, that shame has been defeated, and we no longer need to live in disgrace and we can live in joy. Joy is a huge commodity. Who doesn't want that, right? Who doesn't want that? I would encourage you, um, take it as homework if you're homework kind of people, but go and read Isaiah 61 and not just read it, but meditate on it and not just uh, your own thoughts, but ask Holy Spirit to illuminate it, to show you new things about it. Um, Every time I look at it almost and read it and, and ask the Holy Spirit to show me, I'll see new nuances of it because remember God's word is the living word. And so we'll always be able to have layers and layers of learning from it. But let me take liberty just to paraphrase what I sense the Lord saying to us in those scriptures. He says, I came because there's a big problem, a sin problem that leads to a lot of psychological, physical, emotional, and mental distress, a problem that causes all kinds of pain and dysfunction, and it separates me from you, a problem that involves humans and the enemy of their souls, Satan. I came to fix it all, no matter what has happened in your life whether it's your fault, whether it's somebody else's fault, whether it's Satan's fault or a combination of all that, no matter where the pain and destruction has come from, I can heal, I redeem, and I restore. And if you let me do that in you, then you will get to go on to lead others into freedom as well. This is not a big deal for me, but it's a big deal for you. Will you let me heal you? Will you let me set you free? Do you want to get well? And there we go. There's the grit. Do you have a future plan? You may be stuck in shame today, but do you have that vision that you can get out of it? God has given that to you. Will you latch on to it? Will you practice resilience? Will you practice the muscles of faith? Will you practice resolving to believe his word, releasing the feelings and the lies and the struggles to him to repent for your part in that and receive and, and be uh, forgiven and healed and have your mind renewed and then rest in who he says you are. It can happen. And Jesus doesn't practice. Holy Spirit is always on the move and he's always ready. So even right now, he can do that. Don't let your flesh, your pride, your preconceived notions about who he is and what he can and can't do stop you from receiving. Humble yourself right now, today. If you're hearing his voice, if you're feeling that stirring, 
the Lord says, don't harden your heart. Just say, yes, I want to be healed. I trust you, Lord. Do in me whatever you see fit. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, even now you can renew minds. Even now you can bind up the broken heart. Even now, as I pray, Lord, I just ask you to do that for those listening. I ask you to show them how real you are as the healer, the redeemer, the restorer. Would you increase faith? Lead us into that resting place. Show us our true identity and make us overcomers so we can lead others into the freedom as well. And we can become a warrior of healed overcomers that can shed your light to this hurting world because shame wants to come and steal and kill and destroy. But your blood has paid for that. And there is joy everlasting that is in our inheritance. I pray for that to be released today in our lives. And it's in your powerful, mighty name, I pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, you guys, thanks for joining me today. Man, shame pronounces us guilty and deficient, but Jesus pronounces us guiltless, and he promises his grace is enough to cover every deficiency in our lives, every weakness. So practice this week those three, those six R's. This is not an overnight fix. It's just a step-by-step-by-step journey. But what a journey it is full of freedom and joy. And it just builds and builds and builds on itself. So start today, partner with God. He is faithful. And all you got to do is turn his way and he will start leading and guiding you. So I pray that you have a great Thanksgiving week. I pray that as we enter into the Christmas season, we can open our hearts to receive all that Christ has for us, especially in these dark times. This is Angel H. Davis signing off.